What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. And today, we're going to talk about liberal Christians. And this is, this is take two, because I had some terrible technical difficulties this morning. And that leads me into what I want to talk about before we get into the meat of our podcast. Think about supporting me as a podcaster. Evidently, I need a new computer. I need something with the processing power to be able to do these live streams. I've got a computer with plenty of processing power to be able to record into, but I can't record it and I can't stream it and all that together. So I'm I'm functioning at a deficit. That's why I had I think I think that's why I'm having some technical difficulties because I'm pushing this computer that I have way beyond its capacity to actually function. That being said, www.patreon.com forward slash near churches. I'm using that money from there to promote the podcast and promote the Cogitations Facebook page. And if I get enough supporters, then I can eventually purchase a computer where I can way better handle the live streaming and stuff like that. And the production quality should go up. Now, let's talk about being a liberal Christian. I'm going to go to my launch pad, and I'm going to go to my trusty Oxford English Dictionary, L-I-B-E-R-A-L. All right, liberal, willing to respect or accept behavior or opinions different from one's own and open to new ideas, relating to or denoting a political and social philosophy that promotes individual rights, civil liberties, democracy, and free enterprise. Listen, Christians should be liberals. I identify as a liberal actually more than identif- I, I identify as a conservative when it, when it comes to political policy. When it, when it comes to political practice, I identify more as a conservative because I want to conserve Judeo-Christian values upon which Western culture is built. But I just wanted to, to kind of front load that and let you know the definition of terms that I was using, willing to respect or accept behavior or opinions different than one's own, and open to new ideas. Christians should be that. Christians should not be, and there we go again. Christians should not be slaves to being an ideologue. Christians should not be a slave to an ideal. Christians should be able to scrutinize those ideals and test them to see whether or not they're worthy of holding. And if they fall up short or they become wanting, we're not romantically involved with our ideals and we cast them by the wayside. I talk about this when it comes to methods of evangelism. So often my brethren are married, romantically involved with our methods of evangelism. For instance, you got to be on the TV. You got to be on the radio. Well, that costs a lot of money. So what you can do if you don't have a huge budget for radio or television, you know what you can do? You can get on Facebook and you can do a much, much smaller budget 
and promote localized locally in your area and you can you can really have a big impact in your local area and some people say well that that just sounds liberal well that is liberal like that that's the essence of being liberal because you have scrutinized an idea or ideal and decided you know what we're going to tweak this i i didn't i didn't originally think about doing xyz but now that it's been presented and now that i've been open minded enough to scrutinize it and run it through these tests of whether or not it's any good then i'm going to change so that that's that's liberal christians need to be that way hold try try all things hold fast to that which is good now what about the other definition of liberal which is more political uh, a political or social philosophy that promotes individual rights civil liberties democracy and free enterprise well Christians should be liberal in that way too. Let me let me let me tell you what I mean. Uh, this came from a thought. This came uh, from a thought that I kind of brought out from a Bible lesson in uh, Genesis as we were going through Genesis chapter thirty three. So Jacob is coming back to make amends with Esau. All right, let me get let me get here to where I can see your comments. Hopefully, I'll be able to see them. I don't know if I don't know if anybody's put any comments in the section yet. And I'm certainly not meaning to ignore you. All right, so here I am. Okay, now if you make a comment, I can see your comment. Incidentally, for those of you that are watching, be the algorithm for me. Be the notification bell for me. Share this content. Share this material, please. Please and thank you. Okay, so let me develop this thought. Hello, Deborah O'Neill. Good to see you. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee because God hath dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. And he urged him and he took it. Basically, Jacob came back. Jacob has been blessed beyond measure. And he's coming back and he's giving Esau a bunch of stuff. He's sharing the wealth. Now, look. He worked hard for that. It's his. In fact, not only is it his, but from what we read in the Bible, he has a right to defend it with extreme prejudice. But he's coming back. He's trying to cr- promote good, good, goodwill. Sorry, I lost the English language there. He's trying to promote goodwill, and he's trying to smooth his brother just a little bit because it, it ended so badly. So he is using the good with which God has blessed him as a tool, saying, look, I've got all that I need and more. Let me share with you. This is a liberal mentality. This is a mentality more Christians should have. This is a mentality that I need to cultivate and develop in myself. Because let me tell you what I, what I realized as I was studying this. I look down on people who are, who are worse off than me. Now, before you judge me harshly and before you turn me off, let me explain to you what I mean. These, these homeless people that are living on the streets, I, I, I find myself that I have become so jaded that it's hard for me to look at them with the love of Christ. And, and maybe since I'm a human being and you're a human being, maybe you might be going through that as well. 
I don't like that part about me. I don't like that aspect of my psyche. You know, my wife says something. You know, she's a professional therapist. Incidentally, if you need help, go to uh, BeAMindfulSoul.com. She'll give you a free consult, and uh, she'll tell you how she can help you. She can hook you up with people that can help you, uh, and she does Christian counseling from a, from the platform of Christianity. Anyway, she says, people do the best that they can do. And the way you know that is because if they could do better, they would do better. Nobody from a healthy mind wants to live in a slum. Nobody from a healthy mind who is mentally sound wants to live in a cardboard box under a bridge in a Canadian winter, okay? Why are they doing that? Because that's the best they can do. What is a Christian's responsibility to those people? I'm going to talk about that today. But we need to be liberal-minded in that we need to come from a platform of those, are, those, those people are sovereign individuals created in the image of God, and they have value. They have intrinsic value above and beyond and separate from their current existence. In other words, Bill Gates has as much intrinsic value as the man who lives in the refrigerator box under the bridge, okay? How do we help? I mean, obviously, we're, we can't allow the man in the, in living in the refrigerator box to rise to such lofty heights of wealth as Bill Gates, but maybe we can, maybe, maybe we have some kind of responsibility. Maybe we can do something to alleviate that man's suffering some and empower him and equip him to at least rise above to the point where he can live in a modest domicile so he's not living on the street. And it, it's, about a, it's about a skill set. It's about tools. And these people who are living on the street, these people who are begging for money on a daily basis at the intersections and stuff like that, they're doing the absolute best they can. And I think that over the years, I've become so jaded that I have not even looked at them per se as if they were human beings. And this really, this again, this thought has nothing to do from the, from the chapter in Genesis, but this verse just kind of hit me hard that Jacob, his attitude was, I have enough. And he urged him, and Esau took it. How much do I need? You know, there's been times in my life where, where Labeth and I, you know, we've lived on bologna and cheese and ramen noodles. Not because we were trying to save money, but because that's all we had. That's, that's, all, that's all we had the money for. Now, before I was married, there was about three months where I moved to Jackson, Tennessee and lived in a house with about four other dudes, and I was not mentally or emotionally prepared for that. I was, I was 17, 18 years old emotionally and mentally about the, about the age of 12. That didn't work well. But anyway, the idea is I lived on Raymond noodles because they were eight for 88 cents and I could spend my money instead of spending it on food, I could spend it on a bunch of other junk that I didn't need to be doing. But so there's a difference. 
But whenever I talk about me and LaBeth living on bologna and cheese and cheese and bologna and ramen noodles, it's because that's all the, that's all the money we had. Anyway, long story short, I know what it's like to be destitute, and I know what it's like to be doing the best you can, and I know what it's like to learn new skills and get better. And this hit me hard because, like, how much do you really need? Well, I don't need a whole lot. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to sacrifice and suffer just so somebody who wants to live a destitute life can live a destitute life. Let me uh, let me get a couple of these comments here. We got some good comments, I believe. Um, Deborah O'Neill says, I have found that many of the homeless where I live aren't homeless. They like where they live and say so. They have money for an apartment, but don't want to live by other people's rules. We think they are homeless because we wouldn't want to live that way, but that's not the case. They are master survivalists. A few are homeless, truly. They get help when they know where to go and get it, or the city takes them to a shelter. And I think this next comment's along that same vein, and I want to talk about this. Most of those living on the street, although not all, are dealing with mental health and or substance abuse problems. It is a difficult issue to solve. Giving them money is likely not going to provide a long-term benefit. In fact, I would put forth that it would provide, not only would it not provide a long-term benefit, it would actually provide a short-term problem, and it would add to a long-term problem. But anyway, that doesn't mean we can't feed them or help them in the moment. But, uh-oh, it jumped. Hold on. But the overall problem is much bigger than that. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly with both of those statements. And that gets into my next uh, sec- segment of the podcast is what is the solution? Because not everybody wants your help. You know, we we have a certain standard of living, and we think, well, I wouldn't want to live in a box under the under the overpass. So why in the world would these people want to live in a box under the overpass? Well, for some reason they do. I don't know why. Maybe like Deborah said, they just don't want to live by society's rules. In fact, I think, um, well, hold on a second. I can't remember who made the comments. Let me go back. Yes, yeah, Jason and Deborah. I think the heart of what Jason and Deborah are getting at is um, you can you can try to help and you can become an enabler. And if you try to help in a healthy way, there are some people that are not going to want it that are going to live that way regardless. Which so that that segues me into this next segment. What is the Christian's responsibility? Well, first off, we 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 don't need to become like I am seeing myself become, where we're so jaded we don't even look at them as human beings anymore. We don't have any compassion. If God in heaven wasn't a compassionate God, then we would have no hope because in that while we were yet sinners, God sent His Son for us. Romans five eight. These people, in while they are yet destitute and not living in a way that conforms with societal norms, I'm still going to reach out and I'm still going to try to help. I'm going to become involved in as much as I can become involved. I think about 1 John chapter 3. If any man is blessed with this world's good and sees his brother in need and opens up not his bowels of compassion unto him, then how dwelleth the love of Christ in him? I think I have become dangerously close to seeing my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, in these situations 
and walling myself off where I probably need to be more open to their plight, open to their needs, and figuring out how to, figuring out how to become personally involved where I can, where I'm able, and help where I can in a way that is actually beneficial. And that gets me into this idea of personal involvement. Now, if you have the ability and if you have the opportunity, that equals responsibility. I am not blessed very much in this world's good as far as finances. But I can I can donate my time and stuff like that. So it is my level of responsibility to help a, a bum on the street is not as high as somebody who has much more of this world's good than I. But that that means I do have a responsibility. And the the least the, the, the lowest level of responsibility that I have as a Christian is at least not looking upon these people as if they're subhuman. And that's kind of what I'm getting at. Um, yeah, before the city ran them off or bust them to another community, we kept bags of food in the car to hand out the window. If it had a pop, it had a pop top can of uh, food a small bottle of water and and a snack, paper towel, and a fork and a spoon. That's not a bad deal. That's not a bad deal at all. Maybe that's something we could do here in Riverview is um, make those bags, make those care packages, just little brown paper sacks with a pop-top can of food, some veiny sausage and beanie weenies or something like that. And I mean, because let me tell you something, that would go a long way, you know, if you put you put five or six dollars worth of foodstuffs in a bag like that. That's 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 that that at least changed somebody's day. All right. Now, personal responsibility. What is the Christian's responsibility? Well, the Bible talks about that. All right. Let's talk about what the New Testament says. First off, Second um, Thessalonians. I've got I've got a couple of three scriptures here. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse ten, I believe is is pretty uh pretty important to us. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse ten. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. So that tells me that I am not obligated to be a welfare source for someone who is absolutely not willing to work. Now, in the context, uh, I believe that Paul is talking about people who were so convinced of the preeminent return of Jesus that they forsook all earthly ties and just quit working and quit living. And they were sitting there looking to the horizon, waiting for Jesus' return. But the general principle still applies. If a man don't work, neither should he eat. So that means I'm not obligated to support him in this psychosis, in this psychopathy. All right? So let's go to um, 1 Timothy chapter 6. So now we're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, look at verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, 
but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. If you are blessed in this world's good as a Christian, you need to be liberal. We need to be liberal. So the balance is, if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. But yet I need to be liberal in my giving, and I need to be, need to be liberal with what God has blessed me with. How do we figure out whether or not this person that's on the side of the road is somebody to whom we should share the blessings with which God has blessed us. It takes personal involvement. You have to do more. And, and I, Deborah, I love the idea of handing bags out the window. That alleviates a momentary problem. Don't stop doing that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do at all. But when it really comes to helping these people, we have to be more involved than just handing them a $5 bill or handing them a stack of food or something like that. We need to take the time to get to know them, and thereby we can ascertain whether or not these people are willing to work and get better or whether or not these people are just dead set on living that kind of life. It takes, it, it, it takes personal involvement. We have to put the personal back into personal evangelism because wouldn't that be considered a form of evangelism? You know the work of the church. There's the threefold work of the church that facilitates the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to glorify God on earth. The work of the church by which that purpose is realized is evangelism, edification, and benevolence. Whenever we help people that are destitute, whenever we are liberal and we share the blessings with which God has blessed us, we are edifying ourselves, we are being evangelistic, and we are being benevolent, and we are glorifying God on this earth. That's why I say Christians should be liberal. It takes personal involvement, though. I, I am seeing that I've got comments popping up, but the comments are not popping up on the live stream. That, that's bothersome. I, I, I need to find a good setup where I can field your comments while also monitoring the, the live stream. Let me see if I can get these comments. Oh, man. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have, I'm going to, I need a new computer. It just can't process. It can't keep up. All right. So, um, so what's, what's the, what's the answer to the first Timothy six, 17 through 19? Well, let's go to James chapter five, one through three, and listen to this. Come now, you rich weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and your silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Listen, these were miserly, miserly men who trusted in their money as opposed to trusted in God. And Christians should not be like that. 
Christians should not trust in this world's good. We shouldn't try to heap up treasures against the last day, as the King James put it. But we should be prudent, have enough of this world's good stored up to take care of ourselves in our old age, and then we should we should distribute the blessings with which God has blessed us to others. We should be liberal. So there's a checks and balances here. There is an absolute checks and balances where uh, Christians should be liberal. They should look at people as if they are human beings, if they are if they are created and made in the image of God and have intrinsic value separate and apart from their current state of existence, while also understanding that if, well, Paul also wrote to Timothy, if a man doesn't take care of his own, he's worse than an infidel. So we understand then if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. And if he doesn't take care of his own, even himself, he's worse than an infidel. And we don't, we don't facilitate that. We don't, we're, we don't become an enabler, but we're personally involved enough with these individuals where we can discern the difference. And those who are willing to learn and help themselves along with our help, then we, we promote that kind of behavior. And we who are blessed in this world's good share with those who are not in that situation. And then, of course, we don't want to be like the people in James chapter 5, the old men who hoard money and say, well, you know, I, I've, got, I've got $100 million in the bank. And uh, I, I just, well, how, how, much more, how much more money do you need? just a little more. It's always just a little more. Um, I know congregations like this that have so much money in the bank and to get them to help a mission worker or anything like that, they just, it's like pulling teeth. You know, you can, you can be so stinking, uh, worried about whether or not the cause you help is worthy. Well, I'm going to hold on to this money because I don't know if this cause is worthy. There might be a cause coming along that's, um, that's more worthy. And what will happen is you'll never, you'll never help any cause because you'll never actually pull the trigger and help and help some somebody or something that is, that needs it. I think about the line, the witch in the wardrobe. And one of the kids had this horn that it was well, not the line, the witch in the wardrobe. It's uh, one of the other books. And, and one of the kids had the horn and all, all he had to do was blow the horn and Aslan would appear. And the, the, the rule was, in your hour of greatest need, blow the horn and Aslan will appear. The problem was the kid almost died several times because, like, I can't blow the horn. I don't know if this is my hour of greatest need. And one of the characters in the book said, well, this is the time to blow the horn because if you're always worried about whether or not a later need will arise that's greater, then you'll never, ever blow the horn and you'll end up getting us all killed. That's the same way it is with this world's good. If you're blessed in this world's good, and, and, you, and I understand we want to be good stewards with the blessings with which God has blessed us, and you're holding on to that money thinking, well, I, I need to hold on to it because something more worthy will come along later, 
then you're going to be hoarding up money against the last day and it's going to rust and canker and that will stand as a witness against you because God's going to ask like, hey, I blessed you with so much. How come you didn't help people out? Well, Lord, I, I was waiting. It's, it's like the bearing of the talents. You gave this man a whole talent of silver and all he did was bury it. He didn't put it to, he didn't at least take it to the bank and let them lend it out. I, I blessed you, God. God said, I blessed you. You lived in the, in the richest, most prosperous culture and time that there ever has been. And all you did was hoard money against the day of your death? You, you I mean, why, why didn't you at least finance other people going into foreign countries? Or why didn't you find a place in the, in the United States that didn't have a lot of uh, representation of the Lord's people? and finance a, a, a missionary to go there. So there's some things to consider with this. I still stick to my guns. Christians should be more liberal than they are. I think li being liberal is a virtue. And not only should we be able to, to scrutinize our own ideas and be open to ideas that are different from our own, we should look at people who are less fortunate than us and think, how can we help them versus I wonder what they did to, to get themselves in that situation. And I'm, I'm, I'm speaking more to me than, um, I'm speaking more to me than I am to anybody else. There's a con I don't know who said this. I don't, and I don't know what it's, I don't know the context, but the question was in some ways, I wonder if that's like, the idea of Corbin. Let me explain Corbin. Corbin is, as a Jew, let's say that you have $100,000 to take care of your parents when they're old. But instead of taking care of your parents when they're old, you go to the priest and you say, hey, priest, I'm going to give God this $100,000, which means you give it to the priest. And the priest says, okay, now, when it comes time to take care of your parents, you tell your parents, hey, whatever you would have been benefited by me, I don't have anything for you because I've given it to God. You can't fault me for giving to God, can you? You don't mean to take God's money and give it to you, do you? And you kind of gaslight them. And then they die from neglect. And they die destitute. And then after their death, you go to the priest and say, do you remember that money that I gave you, that $100,000? I want it back now. And the priest gives it back, but they would return it with a little fee. So if you had your $100,000 to take care of your parents into their old age, then you were going to lose your entire $100,000. But if you gave it as Corbin, then you might only get a 10 or 20% fee. So you would still have $80,000. So it's like you, 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 just, you just gave $20,000 to the priest so you can circumvent God's commandment to honor your father and mother. That's in Matthew chapter 15 where that's talked about. The, the Pharisee said, why didn't your disciples wash their hands? They didn't, they didn't hold true to the traditions of the fathers. And Jesus says, well, why do you uh, not follow the commandment of God for your traditions? You have the tradition of Corbin. You have the, 
you have this tradition. But God says, honor thy father and mother. Anyway, so I think what the commenter was saying about, I wonder if this sounds like Corbin, that's what people do. They, and that's what some churches do who are blessed with a lot of money. They say, well, I can't really spend this money because I can't tell whether or not this is a good work. So I'm going to hold on to it until a good, a, 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 what we know is a good work comes along. And then they go years and years and years, and they've got all this money that they've never spent because it's almost like, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm reserving this for a, for a good work. Well, in the meantime, there's been people saying, look, there's all kinds of good work. If you're in a congregation that's blessed with this world's good, make a vow to spend the money. Because God will give it back to you. And if you hold on to it because you think a better work will come along and you're, you're never able to pull the trigger, then you fall into that category of James 5, and that gold and silver will stand as a witness against you in the last day. I would not want to be one of the eldership in a congregation when Jesus returns that has hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank. I want to be a, a member of an eldership when Jesus returns of a church that is quote-unquote broke by the world standard. <laughs> anyway, guys, this has just been something to think about. Um, I'm sorry that I couldn't see your comments. I'm sorry that I couldn't get to all of them. I appreciate you commenting. I appreciate you sharing. Remember, be the notification bell. Be the algorithm for me. You share this. Share it with your friends. Invite your friends to like the Cogitations Facebook page and support me on Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash near churches. For at least the next several months, I'm going to be using all of my Patreon money to promote the Facebook page because I can funnel from the Facebook page to the podcast and I can get more listeners on my podcast. I can get more viewers on the live stream and that will be, uh, that will be helping the entire brand to uh, get more listeners and might, might even be profitable one day. But anyway, that's all I've got here. Thank you so much. I'm going to see if I can go back. Yeah, there's still something. This page isn't available right now. It may be because of a technical error that we're working to get fixed. That is crazy. Like I can't even I can't even see my I can't even see my cogitations Facebook page at the moment. But anyway. All right, let me I'm going to I'm going to try one more time to get back in. So I can at least see your comments and acknowledge them. All right, there, there I am. Well, I mean, we got a good crowd listening. Oh, right here we are. Okay, hey, Sheila Cole. I've heard some people say it's wrong to give homeless people money because they might buy drugs, and others say give them money if they buy drugs. That's on the homeless person. Thoughts. Uh, Brandon, that's a matter of personal judgment. Um, there's been times when I've given a homeless person money and I'm like, well, you know, we'll just let God sort that out. But there's also been times where I've decided not to give a homeless person money because I knew they were going to go get drugs. So it's as a general rule, I don't give money. I give food or as somebody put, you know, socks, underwear, shirts, maybe a sleeping bag, a coat or something like that. 
Um, but, but I don't give money. I mean, here's the thing. If you give somebody food, who's a druggie, they can, they can get drugs with that food. Okay. I mean, it's like you're still giving them assets. Granted, it's easier to take money and get drugs than it is to take a case of Viany sausage and get drugs. Okay. But you're still giving them assets. So it's, it's, it's relatively the same. And incidentally, seeing as money is fungible, I'm going to spend $10 in food and give this homeless person, or I'm going to spend $10 in money and give this homeless person. If I give the homeless person food, well, the next person that gives him $5, he's going to be way less tempted. He's going to be way less uh, inclined to go get food with their $10. If I've already given food, he's just going to go get drugs with their $10. So it's, it's a wash, I think. You know, if you're going to give to a homeless person, just give to a homeless person. Give whatever you want to give. It's up to you. I don't think it's a matter of personal judgment. So this is the point I'm making. Um, all right. Yes, some people do. Yeah, that, that, that should be a red flag whenever your homeless guy has a QR code and says, just scan this and you can you know, you can, you can put money right in my Venmo, right in my cash app. And, uh, Connie Henderson, uh, she sees the video in South Africa. That's so good. Thank you so much. And Connie says, uh, Connie Henderson is such a great lesson. Thank you very much. All right. I think I've got caught up on the comments. Cool. Let me, let me read this comment on the point you made about not seeing these people as human beings needing help. I will share this several years ago, Amanda and I were in Jackson by the Walmart and there was a man on the corner with a sign. Uh, and he had, and he had a sad looking little dog with him. Both of us together at the same time sighed and expressed our dismay at the plight of the poor puppy. We were both thinking about buying food and giving to this dog. Then it dawned on me that we were so concerned about this animal, but had not even given any thought to the man. That bothered me greatly after I realized it. Uh, Jason, that's that's what I'm talking about. It it really is. And and I I think it's good that, that it bothered you. And I think that because you come to that realization, it's less, you're, you're, you're likely to be less jaded. And again, I don't know what the good solution is. I mean, like, what do you do? Do you go give that man an influx of cash and think that he's going to be all better? Or do you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give this man an influx of cash, but, you know, I, I'm, going to go take, I'm going to go feed his dog. I don't know. I don't think that makes you a bad person if you say that man made choices to get there. The dog didn't. So if you want to go get that dog some food, I, I don't think that makes you a bad person. I think it shows you're a good person because you're cognizant of, of that and, and you, you decided not to lean into it. Um, yeah, one man asked for uh, six bucks because that's what it costs to stay at the shelter overnight. He said he couldn't take anything else because they won't let him take anything in with him. Yeah, you know what, Deborah? That, I, I picked up a, a, a homeless couple. They were vagabonds. and. Um, I tried my best to help them. I ended up, I mean, I, t- I took them, I fed them a, a hamburger meal. I talked to them. They wanted me to, they said, well, we'll let you, you know, w- could you put us up in a hotel? I'm like, I'm not putting you up in a hotel. You're not married. 
and I can't, well, first off, I can't afford a hotel, but even if I could, you're not married. So I'm not going to put you up in a hotel. And, uh, they said, well, that's why we can't stay in the, in the homeless shelters because we want to stay together, but we're not married and they can't, you know, anyway, there was some stuff and they were trying to get to St. Louis and, and whatever. And anyway, I just ended up dropping them off at a love's truck stop and they caught a, they caught a ride. There ain't much you can do, you know, you, you, you cannot help people that are not willing to help themselves. You cannot help people that don't want it. Uh, that being said, that doesn't change how the, 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 that we need to keep our hearts tender and we need to be liberal. And I think that's how I'm going to end the podcast. <laughs> um, just as we go into this holiday season, let's, let's try to ride this wave of goodwill and peace on earth. And let's, as Christians, let's try to be as liberal as we possibly can. And I hope I've said something here that's encouraged you. I hope I've said something here that's helped you. Remember, be the algorithm, be the notification bell, share this podcast, invite the people to the Cogitations Facebook page, and support me on on um, on on near uh, Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash near churches. And I'm going to spend 100% of my Patreon money for the next foreseeable future promoting Cogitations on Facebook so we can get us a big audience. And that's all I've got here. God bless you. Subscribe to the podcast. We'll, this has been Tony Brew with Cogitations, and we will catch you on the flip side.